All right. Uh, thanks to my wonderful daughter for the introduction. My name is Rick Crawford. I am the host of the Sustainable Angler podcast, uh, which was created to inspire anglers to protect the planet. I'm really excited about today's episode. I've got Tia Clark, who is the founder of Casual Crabbing with Tia. And we talk about everything from being her being born and raised in Charleston, um, and having a lack of access to some of our natural resources um, and how her journey eventually led to her finding her purpose and her passion and starting a business and really about our connection with water and our community. So um, excited to share that with you. Uh, we also dive into some environmental threats even to our um, crabbery, if you will, our, our, our fishery here in Charleston, and uh, really about working for joy. So um, this is a super fun interview, and uh, for those interested, um, you can visit www.thesustainableangler.com, um, and you can find all sorts of stuff, blog posts, past episodes, uh, merchandise, um, but what would really help out the show is if you could go to iTunes and leave a review. Um, that helps us to, to spread the word about the Sustainable Angler. So also wanted to mention that the Sustainable Angler is now available on Charleston's only community-supported radio station. That's Ohm Radio 96.3 FM, airing every Saturdays at 2 p.m., so don't forget to tune in there. Uh, thanks, and hope you enjoyed this episode. Support for the Sustainable Angler Podcast comes from Emerger Strategies. Emerger Strategies is a sustainable business consultancy that guides your business on its sustainability journey so you can protect what you love by measuring and improving your company's sustainability performance. To learn more, visit EmergerStrategies.com. Yeah, sure. Hi, my name is Tia Clark, and I am the owner, CEO, head crabber at Casual Crabbing with Tia. It is a land-based crabbing experience that happens in downtown Charleston. Um, I am a Charleston native. I grew up in downtown Charleston. All my education happened right in downtown Charleston. I went crabbing six years ago for the first time. Um, I think none of it makes any sense to me. Um, you know, I went back asking family, how is this possible? How is this a thing? Um, I found out, I think, that it might just kind of be a little cultural, um, but that's, a, that's another story. But um, I went crabbing six years ago, and it changed my life. That one day on the water, um, getting access to our natural resources and catching and preparing my food for the first time in my life changed every single thing about my life. I, I worked in the food and beverage industry uh, for 20 years, and that's what I thought I was going to do to the day that I died. I had plans drawn up to open my own bar, and then a family member took me crabbing six months later. No oh, way. <laughs> that, so we, we, we got to dive in a little bit deeper on that. Uh, you tell me where to start. I've told that story a thousand times. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's really something, Rick. It's been the most amazing six years of my life. But um, 
you know, the fact that I'm still doing podcast interviews and still telling the story six years later is really exciting as well, too. Yeah. So, well, I, I love what you said, because because I think part of, you know, talking about like access to to natural resources. Right. And like that's such a big part of uh, the fishing world in general. Like, you know, how how can I access and um, to even put myself in a position to to catch something and then take it home and eat it. Right. And yeah. Um, so could, would you expand a, a little bit on that, if you don't mind? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so wait, which part do you want me to expand on? Because well, I can see the way there. Uh, why, why don't we talk about a- getting getting access to natural resources? I mean, just yeah. being able to to get out and, and go. Well, I mean, I honestly feel like that's a big part of why I didn't go crab until six years ago. Like, I grew up in downtown. I I think what it is is everyone thinks that you have to be rich, you have to own a boat. Those are the only ways that you get to enjoy the water. And I was one of those people. That's why I'm saying that. Because any place that could have given me access to water, I definitely didn't feel like I belonged there. Either there was just like old men there, or I felt like if I was going to go there, someone is going to say, oh, you can't be here. Like, it's just water, I guess, having a relationship with the water has um, a really luxurious look to it, to everybody else. So. The fact that I didn't really feel welcome there. And and when I say welcome, like, you got to understand, this is just coming from my point of view. I grew up in downtown Charleston. I had two hours every day to roam around downtown Charleston before my mom got off work, before she met me at my grandmother's house. Every day, I would walk different areas of downtown Charleston. Not once. Just, Just think about that. All the little creeks, all the little water and stuff that's around. All the years I did that. I never ended up like next to the water because something drew me into the water. You know, it's not like something's going on that looks so inviting that I'm just like, oh, let me go see what that is. I never had that experience, but yeah. I would walk the streets of downtown Charleston every day. So, you know, I managed to think that, you know, you had to get in a car and travel to get to the water. <laughs> it sounds crazy when I say it out loud, but that is really what I thought. Like I grew up downtown. When I think about the way that my family and I would hear family, friends, and everybody talk about Mosquito Beach. I, you would, in my head, being a child, I would have thought you had to take off a week from work, pack up your bags, and get to it from downtown to get to Mosquito Beach. Like when I realized that this was like a day trip, like you could just jump over there in the car and come right back, I was like, "What in the world have I been? What life have I been living?" You know, <laughs> it's just not the reality that it is for everybody else. Um, you know, my mom worked hard to give me everything that, that I had and for me to play all the sports I wanted and do all the things that I wanted to do. So, you know, at first I blamed her, but it's not no fault of hers that I didn't get there. I just feel like all of my education is walking distance from the place where I get to give people this crabbing experience every day. My elementary, middle and high school, maybe a 20 minute walk at longest for one of them. You know, like it doesn't for me, that doesn't add up because I'm like. I grow up and meet people and hear people talking about like bowling classes and all these different classes. I'm like, why isn't anybody walking anybody to the water? Like why anybody just walking kids to the water, like giving people access, which for me leads into a whole nother thing because there are all these awesome, awesome organizations in town that are doing just amazing things. Most of them are led by people that aren't from here. There's somebody that had a great experience when they were a kid and they feel dedicated to the water. Um, you know, and nothing against these groups and, you know, there are different ways to do stuff. 
But I feel like being, and I say an outsider because I feel like I'm just into this world now in the last five and six years, is there are all these like really fancy, fancy, elaborate meetings and parties to help people generate money for organizations, which is amazing. I think it's incredible. But I think that there is another piece that we might be missing there because I was almost 40 when I got my water experience or access to it that kind of blew my mind and it just kind of plummeted me into the stewardship of like I have to protect the water now so what if we start giving people experiences at water when they're young and you you're kind of creating all this organic stewardship and like as people get older they're just going to have these relationships with the water and these experiences in their mind every time they see it yeah I think that's Super important because like I've, I, I, so personally, so I grew up in Savannah, Georgia and, you know, I had um, access to, to water and, and, and marsh and, and boats and, and all that at a, at a fairly early age. Um, but I also, to your point, like growing up and, learning how to fish and even go crabbing um i that are like core memories that that like i would assume similar to to you getting introduced to it at a much later age but it's like those are things that happen that change you and you fall in love with it and you want to protect what you love i th- i think is sort of the sentiment yeah. Well, you also, you'll never forget it. Like while you're telling me that you're probably thinking about it in your mind right now, whatever experience that was next to the water. Yeah. Like it just stick, those things stick with you for life. Like think of all the things that have happened in your life. Some of them you just can't even remember. But I have people that are 60 and 70 telling me, oh, when I was a kid, my daddy used to take me and do this. And like those things never leave you for your life ever. You know, yeah. they help you develop, they help you grow. Um, you know, I felt I don't know. I wouldn't say duped, but I felt like I felt like I was like, how am I living here in this place where people travel for these experiences and not have this not having these experiences, you know? Yeah. Um, But, you know, that's even more so of everything happens for a reason. Right. Because now that happened to me and now I've got this mission that like I want to make sure that nobody's 40 close to 40 and just having finding the water for the first time here in Charleston. Like for me, that's just stupid. And I don't think that should happen. So. You know, I'm starting to build these relationships and work with these different organizations to kind of help me get to that mission. And, you know, one of the really exciting things we're doing right now is uh, there is a grant that uh, we're working with with SCORE, the South Carolina Oyster Recycling and Enhancement Program, um, Department of Natural Resources, NOAA, and I think South Carolina Sea Grant, where we're starting to work uh, with a Title I school out in Onda, and these kids are really close to the water, and a lot of them just haven't had the experience. And they put a pop-up greenhouse at that school, and they're actually planting the marsh grass. They we went to the we went to the school, and we um, did some RCTs, which are recycled crab traps, where we close them off all the openings and coat them in cement, and then line them at the shoreline. And we place those at Cherry Point Landing where we are going to be crabbing with those kids uh, in like two weeks. And then they're going fishing again this season. And it's like, they're having all these experiences that they're never, ever going to forget ever. You know? and, that they, and that they would not have, is that, is that right? Is that fair to say they would not have unless y'all were, were, were taking them out there with I mean, this grant money? 
they wouldn't have it probably at this age, you know, like their families, you got to think about that. Like a lot of kids, like their families are working hard to provide them. Like they may not have time to take them to that water, to give them that experience. So that's why they don't end up getting it until they're older. And I think it's important to get it when it's younger. I really do. Um, And I honestly, I crab with kids and older people and you just see power. Like it's not even just about catching the crabs. Like the kids are building their confidence. Like they're growing into the people that they are. They're overcoming these things. And like, it's just really cool to watch. It's really, really cool to watch and to be able to facilitate that for people, you know, to actually help people do something that brings them joy. And there's so many things that put stress on you, you know, even young kids, they go to school now and that's stressful, you know, and it's like, here's this space that you can just go to and kind of let everything else be quiet. And um, I just find a lot of power in that. I feel like now as an adult, I notice uh, more, I'm more aware of the way that I react to things, who I am um, because of this experience. Like going outdoors, this is my new thing. It's like, I'm feeling like I'm noticing that my brain processes things differently when I'm outdoors than when I'm indoors. And that could even be just riding in the car. Like something riding in a car could kind of get me all worked up. But if I'm outdoors, I kind of like always take a deep breath and then I just laugh about it for a minute. Or I don't know. I just like notice that I react to things differently because of my environment. And this is the first time that I've started controlling my environment was this whole journey. You know, I mean, I never even thought I was going to the water. I mean, I, I, I smoked cigarettes and I lived the pretty stereotypical food and beverage life. And I quit smoking cigarettes and my health declined. And uh, and then I was covered in hives, had total body inflammation. My right hand was swelling where I couldn't even like close it and make a fist. And I was just feeling really bad. And I went to the hospital and they couldn't help me. They sent me to National Allergy. They couldn't help me. And now this is like six weeks after all of this and I'm ready to die. I mean, like I'm ready to just give up. And someone from National Allergy referred me to a holistic PA and that woman put me on an elimination diet and it caused, I mean, my pant size was almost 50 inches in 2017 and now it's 36, but it caused me to like, I've lost all this weight. I started feeling good. Like this woman's like, you should get active and uh, I really was just like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and then I went back to my bar life. And then um, my big family had a wedding and I started seeing some family members I hadn't seen. And um, one of them, I told him what was going on with me. And he suggested that I come crabbing with him. And he took me crabbing uh, for the first time. And we caught blue crabs, we caught shrimp. He taught me how to throw a cast net. And we took that bait and we caught a whiting. And then I went home and prepared that food. And that was the first time that I'd ever did that. And um, and it also just brought all this stuff back to me. Like now I know I have to have those experiences. Like <clears throat> I have to go catch my food. Like I need to know, have that bond. I didn't know that that was a thing. And I feel more connected to what I'm eating. It's the first time I've cared about what I'm eating in my life and paid attention to it. So I'm trying to catch and prepare as much stuff as I can. Um, but it's, you know, it, for me, it's just, I never knew that that was something that I needed. It was like the missing piece of the puzzle for me. And now I'm just going to do everything I can to nurture all these things that I'm finding out about myself because the things that I thought made me tick do not <laughs> at all. 
Yeah, well, I think too, like, is is listening to your story about this. It's it's the same in in a lot of places where you know people sort of grow up in a in a you know a, a concrete jungle and they they're not connected to nature and it's all um you know video games and no real idea of of what's happening with the seasons and what that means in nature and yeah. um all all of that i think is super important to to sort of just understand your your not only your environment but actually get connected to it um, oh my god it's just it's it's it is mind blowing to me where i am now from where i was 6 years ago the connection not only with my food it brings a connection the way you live so then you have community yeah. my family because i've been cooking now with family members like i'm catching this food feeding my mom my aunts cooking with all of them together um you know something i never thought i would even get to have i mean all of that from that one day of me getting on that water like i got to have just this incredible experience this year earlier this year for charleston wine and food um and i got to cook for 60 people with my mom and three of my aunts and and it was just i never in my life thought i'd be cooking with all of them at once anyway and then here's this thing that i just was moved me because i'm like all of this is because of me going crabbing and wanting to go outside every day and so now i'm getting close to my family i'm joining all these organizations like i'm on the board of charleston waterkeepers to sustain the good catch board with the aquarium um you know it's just for me i can't believe all of this has happened in six years that's awesome. What um so let let's let's back up for for just a second because I'm you know born and raised low country. You are have a business that's taking people crabbing. There are probably I have listeners not only all over this country but and all over the world. What is low country crabbing? Like what so walk what what are you doing when when people come to to book a reservation with you? So so maybe like they understand. Yeah. Uh well, a lot of people instantly the first thing they think is we're going out on the boat. There are no boats. Um we do it the old school way. So crabbing started with this technique called hand lining where actually it was called necking and they called it necking because they used to use chicken necks. And so they would tie string around chicken necks, throw it in the water, it's shallow water, and then walk the crab slowly back in and then scoop them up with a net. Well, that's a little advanced now. And there's a clip and there's a string attached to it. So you just clip in whatever bait you're using, throw it out in the water, tie the end of that line onto a cleat or onto the dock. And then you slowly walk in this crab up. Now that technique, a lot of people get frustrated. I love it. I mean, it is my favorite way to crab. The other way we crab is we're just taking this two ring wire mesh basket and we're putting weights on the outside, putting bait in the center of that basket, throwing it in the water, letting it hit the bottom and the sides go down. Crabs come mosey in and they're eating your bait and then you just pull on the line and snatch the basket up. Anybody can do that. The necking part, you have to move so smooth that that crab has no idea that you are even walking it. See, they'll hang on to the chicken if they're not suspecting that something's going on. But if you're like 
you know, bumping hand over hand and moving the line. The crab's just going to let go of it. But you have to have this certain type of finesse. And I like it. It's like a little zen. Sometimes when I'm pulling those lines, I'm not even like really paying attention to what I'm doing. I'm kind of just looking out in the water and kind of just staying in the moment of walking this crab up. And for me, that's a whole dance. Like, you know, any not everybody can do it. Like I watch people miss crabs every single day. And then I tell them they miss it. They don't believe me. I go right behind them and pull the line and catch one right there. And they're just like, wait a minute, what just happened? Like I did this magic trick and I'm just telling them like, you know, you don't have the patience. It's, it's pretty, it gets pretty fun though. It's like, it's like uh, marriage counseling, you know? <laughs> I, have to, I have to really tell people, I said, you know, like somebody's got to have patience. I don't know who that is on your team, but you got to choose wisely when you're choosing your partner. And, yeah. <laughs> that's, well, that's, there's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listen, I'm telling you, it's like, it's, I had this one couple and they, it was four lines and she was pulling it and she's like, oh, I think I got one. And he comes in and he knocks the crab off. She did have one. And then they switched. And then he had one, and she knocked it off. They went back and forth and did that four times in a row. And they looked at each other and said, well, we're made for each other. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there, there, there's a couple of things that that you just mentioned. So I, I, I want to go back to the, um, the Charleston wine and food. What, what, what dish did y'all cook? Oh, we cooked everything. Uh, we cooked red rice, collard greens. I made some devil crab balls. So oh, devil crab, usually the way we do it is we take the blue crab, whole crab, take the shell off, you clean that shell out, pick all the meat, make your mix, and hand stuff it back into those shells. But for like big parties and stuff, I like to do just the balls. So you can just make a platter of these balls and people just, they love them, you know? So I did devil crab balls, red rice, macaroni and cheese, collard greens. Um, we had two types of dessert. Oh, wait, we had fried chicken. I <laughs> almost forgot about that. Uh, and then we had a strawberry shortcake that my aunt makes and a sour cream pound cake. That is just amazing that I've grown up eating. Um, that's really good warmed. Um, and then of course we had tables of blue crabs, fresh blue crabs that I dumped out, taught people how to pick blue crabs as well. It was beautiful. The beautiful sunset on Sullivan's Island in the backyard of a home on the water it was spectacular. Um, that, that has me drooling. Those are all <laughs> some of my favorite things in the world. Um, devil crab. I, have, I haven't had a devil crab in a while. I need to I need to get on that. Um, but also something that you said that is, uh, you know, hand lining crabs. Um, I mean that that is a, a memory that I have that is okay. like super vivid of mm-hmm. doing that with my grandparents off a dock. Yeah, that's like and it was like I remember it was always during the summer. So I guess like you know, my parents were working or something, and I was going to go spend like a week with them. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did during the day. And then we'd get you know, a, a, a mess of crabs and boil them for dinner. And that's what we ate for dinner. Yeah, and just, you just sit around and talk about like community and social. I mean, I, there's picking crab, blue crab is an art form. Absolutely. And, and, but it's also like one of the most enjoyable things to just eat them 
and talk and pick mm-hmm. and you know maybe wash that down these days with a a, a cold beer or two but th- th- that is it, talking about the the connection but also the community part of of you know that is a whole experience yeah it is i think i think you have to grow up with that though you know like i deal with people that every day that or even the guests they're like this was awesome it was a lot of work you know and it's like that's for us like we grew up on that you know like me especially in the Geechee culture like we ate my family ate a lot of blue crabs but kids weren't allowed to pick crabs until a certain age because number one you're going to cut yourself number two you're going to you know just waste the money they spend on the crabs because you're a kid you don't know what you're doing so in my family is like growing up, that's almost like the first foods that I remember eating was like seafood, you know, and being hand fed seafood. And so for me, it was like a rite of passage because you watch these people pick crabs all the time. And then you're finally old enough to be able to get to that table to pick crabs. So you're like excited. You were watching people pick it for a long time. So when you have that, it's different than somebody that's visiting here, seeing a blue crab for the first time, catching a dozen, you clean them, and then they go to a restaurant, and then somebody puts it in front of them, and they're like, what do I do? Right. You know? And then the next hour, they're like, I don't know if I did this right. <laughs> for us, we're like the best, the best day, you know? Once yeah. again, you start younger. <laughs> when you start younger, you kind of get that in your head. Like, you're talking about that memory with your granddad. Like, I mean, that's just it. Like, there's certain things that will stay with you for your lifetime. These interactions are those things. They just happen to be one of those things. And, you know, you made a point earlier about like video games and phones. And I always like to touch on the fact that there are no phones when we're crabbing. Like the phones go away. Everybody puts their phones, lock them up in dry bags. And then we crab for two and a half hours. Me and my crew take all the pictures and then we airdrop them over to the guests at the end. So we know the pictures they want anyway, but I am forcing them to put their phones down and get into this experience regardless if they want to or not. I love that. And 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 so, something else that that you said which is I have found also to be true um and and just fishing is that like you mentioned that sort of zen state that you can get in. Mm-hmm. And like for some people um I surf poorly, but I've, I've I've definitely never like gotten in like in in a barrel or anything or getting barreled. Um, but I've heard about people talk about it like that. And when that happens, when you're inside of a wave, it's big enough to be inside it, and like you know everything slows down. The same thing, like if I am, um, I like to fly fish for for redfish on flood tides, and when you get in to sort of that zone of like, okay, I see the redfish tailing, I cast to it and I hook up with the fish and I'm connected to it. That sort of that whole thing is like in slow motion. In hindsight, you think about it and you're like, cause you're not like, you were not thinking about anything. Like you're, it's no. just, you know, and, no. it, it's such a Zen thing. I mean, it's amazing. Right. It's just incredible. Like, I'm glad, you know what I mean? I love to hear you describe like your like Zen point like that, because a lot of times I feel crazy because I'm like, wait a minute, I'm almost 40. Like, what, what am I even talking about? Like when I first started crabbing and my the place my cousin took me crabbing to, that's where I went every day for at least a year. It's probably longer than that. But every day I went to that dock. Well, I started seeing a counselor 
And I told the counselor because at one point as I was driving up Sam Rittenberg and I would almost hit the certain part of it right before I got to Northbridge, the, I, my hairs would start standing. It's like I had goosebumps. My hairs would be standing on my arms <laughs> until I got close. And when I got there, like it would calm down once I was there, but I would get this physical sensation like getting there. I'm like, what is going on with me? You got to understand, like I'm almost 40. I'm thinking, well, something's wrong. You know, like not, as a kid, it's probably just excitement, adrenaline to me. I instantly thought, what is wrong? Like something's wrong. This keeps happening to me. Something is wrong, you know? And it's like, I I just have no doubt that me having that experience then, like, it's just kind of reliving like my childhood a little bit because not really even reliving it, but like experiencing like that childlike joy that I just, you get away. It's almost like I forgot what that feeling was like, you know? Um, and it was amazing to just be woken up with it by being next to the water. And I just find so much power in that space. And I think that it's really important for everybody to at least just get a chance. You don't even have to, what if, what if they get out there and they don't like it? That's up to them. But I think they should have a chance to get out there and do it. Right. Um, yeah. That's, and that's kind of what I'm fighting hard for. Um, one last thing is, uh, you know, my work with, um, score and dnr that came because everybody saw this crab business before me and that's just because of the way that i was raised and the fact that i thought well i didn't graduate with a college degree i've been in food and beverage this long this is i don't know what else i'm going to be able to do to make money to provide for myself for this lifestyle that i started like that's just what that's the way that i was kind of living my life and now I've been slapped in the face and proven wrong that, um, you know, I can live beyond my wildest dreams and uh, and just for joy and not for not for money. But when people would see it, I would go out every day and they'd say, or I'd invite somebody to go with me and they'd be like, this was awesome. You know, people would pay you to do this. And I'm like, no chance, no chance. Uh, I'm not doing that. You know, like anybody that saw it before me, I would just naysay it. And then after I started crabbing and started like taking people out, um, one person said, uh, my my buddy Robbie, who actually was a friend that took me out on a boat for the first time. He booked a fishing charter and took me out with my friend John Fuss with Holy City Fishing Charters, which for me, it was the first time that I ever got to see Charleston from the water. Wow. And I remember John being blown away that here's this grown adult sitting in his boat going, I'm born and raised from here. This is the first time I've ever viewed Charleston like this. You know, that was like less than a decade ago. Like none of it just makes any sense. But, you know, everybody else that saw um, that, that believed in the crab business and saw it before me, I'm so grateful for. But they would say, you should do this. People would like this. And I would say, why would I let people come to my hometown and just take stuff out of the water? Why would I do that? And then when I started crabbing with people, I realized that I was actually helping the water because everybody 16 and up purchases their own saltwater license to come out with us. And that goes to Department of Natural Resources. That goes to the SCORE program, who we partner with, volunteer with once a month, build MWRs. We we have a 40 MW, or 30 MWR artificial oyster reef, which is manufactured wire reefs. Um, we have that placed at the marina where we crab with folks every day. 
So when they show up and they're like, yeah, we're ready to crab and take stuff out, then I'm able to let them know that they're actually helping us put stuff back in just by purchasing those licenses. And for me, I felt like that was the balance. Like if that wasn't a thing, I don't think this business would exist. Like I needed something that could feel a little balanced, even if it wasn't completely, because I just couldn't imagine taking people crabbing every day, having strangers come and just take, just take. Like, how would that work? You know? And then I'm like, oh, well, they're not taking, they're helping. And now we're putting these reefs back, which is putting life back in the water. You know, we're building habitats. Like, we're just like, it's crazy what's happened. And all of that happened from six years ago, you know, from one day, from six years ago. But I feel like I have to do all these things. Not that I not that I feel like I want to do them or they'll be cool to do them. I feel like I have to do these things in order for to have success for my business and and then, and all and also just to protect the water that I want to use. Well, I think I was <clears throat> what's kind of crazy is that like it and crazy in like the the best way because like I have listening to your story and talk about this and I'm sure this is true for anyone who was like, you know, for me, it was fishing. Um, but you just, when something, and and, I, and I'm saying this from my personal experience with it, but I'm sure there's plenty of other people who have had similar experiences. But for me, when I've like really fell in love with fishing and really started to understand like, like you mentioned earlier, like, okay, well, we threw a cast net and we caught shrimp and then we put that on a hook and then we caught a fish. Like just sort of the, these things that are interconnected and that you're, you're like, you're part of a system and and you're a part of it. You're not separate from it. Like you're, you are uh, within that system. That to me was when I was like, Oh, and exactly to your point with building oyster reefs from recycled oyster shells it's like then you go well i actually have a responsibility to to give more than i take from the resource as as a user of the resource like I, if i don't do this and set you know do do which is what is right in in my opinion then you know i'm part of the problem like i, yeah. I can't I, I can't just take i have to give back and that to me is, you know, I mean, that's the definition of conservation. That's the def that's how you could define sustainability, right? It's like if if we don't do these things to ensure the the long-term sustainability and to, you know, basically show respect for for these resources, um, then they 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 will go away. Yeah. And I love it. I want to crab until the day I die. And I want to make sure that other people do that long after I'm gone. You know, like, I just feel like, I don't, like I said, you know, I did this women's talk recently and my friend, um, my new friend, Miss Barbara Melvin said this thing about how she sees it as a mission. And I never really thought about it until she said that. And I've been using that word now because I do, I feel like this is a mission. And it was just like, Nobody had to even teach me that. Like, you think about that. Like, if I was an adult, or not like if I was an adult, like, nobody had to teach me that as an adult, as soon as I got access to this, that I needed to find a way to protect it. You know, like, that, that just nobody had to tell me that. And that was without me having a relationship with the water. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that that is... 
it's something that you mentioned earlier also like when you went through that period of like getting goosebumps and like no one had to tell you that like you know you can call it i mean i have goosebumps right now i'm not even joking but you can you can call it divine intervention you can call it intuition like those and this is getting a little, you know, uh, it's getting a little deep, but, but it's, <laughs> it, but it's, I, I believe it. Like when you have those experiences and things like that happen, like those are the things that you listen to and follow. And then oh, yeah. you innately, you knew like, I've got to give, give back to this resource. Oh my gosh. Like, and Rick, it's not even that, like the ways that I get confirmation are just insane. Like, uh, I keep bringing this up, but I can't because it just, it really is, it means something to me. But like last year, we ended up crabbing with a ton of kids. Last summer was the first time that we had all these different summer camps booking us. Uh, one day we ended up crabbing with over 20 first and second graders. I was nervous <laughs> as heck that day. Those kids were so awesome so well behaved you would think about getting over 20 some first and second graders anywhere right now and you'd be like oh my gosh well i better have drinks i better have snacks like how am i gonna keep these kids together and there was no issue no behavior issues everybody was listening those kids were so dialed in when we got done the little girl was like can i live here <laughs> and i said on the dock? She said, yes. And I said, no, <laughs> you cannot live here. But I said, you live here and you can do this again with your family. And stuff like that for me is like, I was supposed to do that. You know, like you, I was, we were supposed to be there. Me and my crew were supposed to be giving those kids that experience. All these things are supposed to be happening. I don't know why I didn't, six years ago, if somebody had told me that, I would have told them, you're drunk, get out of the bar, you know, like you're crazy. <laughs> But it's just I get all of these confirmations that this is my mission. And I never thought that I had a mission before. Well, I think, you know, it's it's I mean, this is in in some ways what um, what I do with, with, with companies. But like, I mean, you, you help them figure out like what is their higher purpose or like, why did, you know, if you're talking to it, like, why did you start your business? Like walking them through and ask, asking those questions. And then through that, you, you know, you find out like, Hey, they're really passionate about, it could be a number of things, but if they're passionate about the environmental stuff, then it's like, all right, well then use your business to help protect what you love, you know? And like, there's there, you could be like you're doing helping to take people crabbing that goes to, DNR, which by the way, I, I volunteer with Charleston Waterkeeper and the Sustainability Institute, and that's my favorite program in Charleston is the the oyster shell recycling. Like, I mean, it's, something. it's so cool. It I is. Mean, I never knew. I mean, also six years ago, never knew that. I think right. all the oyster roasts. Like now, anytime I go anywhere and I see an oyster restaurant person, I'm like, y'all recycling these shells? Like a crazy person, you know? Like I never knew all these years, all this time. And that's another thing you got to educate. People don't care about things that they don't know about yeah. unless it affects your life. You do not care about it. I don't care what you say. Yeah. It has to affect you in some kind of way. But if you don't educate people on these things, they don't know. 
So when I started experiencing all this stuff for the first time, I, of course, go to social media. I'm posting anything I catch. I'm posting my volunteer stuff. And I get all these messages and people are like, hey, can I want to bring my kid to DC. I never knew that was going on. I never knew this. And then, you know, DNR kind of has like the stigma with them that if anybody hears DNR, they don't think of my natural resources, a building that I can go to to get education. They don't think about any of those things. The first thing they think about when you say DNR is the game warden. And that's yeah. that. Yeah. That's that. They don't think of anything else from that program. And I feel like they're getting shafted, you know, like. I know that Department of Natural Resources doesn't like promote like private businesses, but I feel like there are a ton of collaborations that they can do around town that can really get more of the word out because the community literally wants to know these things, but you may have to put it in their face because they don't come out to get it. But when I teach them, when I tell them that, like there are people that are like, oh, my son is fishing every day now because of the time y'all went crabbing. And, you know, anytime I see oysters, I'm always trying to find people that are recycling them. There are people that visit and take my experience that are work um, and sustainability in the other places that they live. And they're like, can we photograph this reef? Can we? This is so cool. Like, you know, I make sure to educate people when they when they show up there, like just by you being here. This is one thing that you're doing for the place that you're visiting. That's the first thing I tell them before we start crabbing, because I want to thank them for getting the licenses and then let them know that that money isn't just going up in the smoke like we're actually using that you know, to make sure that you guys can come and have this experiences and everybody else here too. And the, you know, and, and selfishly as, as a, as an angler, you know, that rebuilding oyster reefs has a lot of benefits, but it it definitely enhances the fishing. It, it, it builds habitat and everything from the smallest little, Fritter to the blue crabs to the redfish to the trout the I mean it it is such a positive has such a positive impact on our water and, cl- and obviously it cleans the water it it. yes I was gonna say filtering one one adult male oyster filters fifty gallons of water a day just one male oyster so it's filtering water it protects the grass line that where we are our reef is just April so just last month was one year of that reef being there. I'm there almost every day. I watch the tide come in and come out. Now I stand over there at low tide and you can see how much tall you can see the mud kind of like slanted up behind the reef on the left side of it. It just drops down the mud. And I'm like, man, for a year, we didn't even notice all that mud right there. And it just disappeared from that other side. All I keep thinking is we got to put more reefs up. (laughs) We got to extend them further down because... The difference that I've seen in one year of that stuff being there is insane. I mean, just absolutely insane. That's that's crazy. Um, well, tell tell me, um, Tia, uh, like what are, what are are there some things that because because you're out there every day. Like the, whenever I do interviews, I love talking to people who are on the water every day because they y'all are the ones who who see things, right? Like mm-hmm. you're 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 in tune to it. Are there are there things that that you're seeing from you know an environmental side of of things that are concerning to you at all? Um, uh, just the amount of trash that I clean up every day. It's really something like it's it is it is something. The things that we take out of that water are um, I show up and I go, oh, okay, let me figure out how to get this out of the water. Um, one day we. There was a um, 
there was an outboard that we took out of the water. What? There was a, yes, there was a rope that was, was a really, really low tide, like a negative tide. And like there was this rope that was kind of tied off on this cleat and the tide was so low. We were like, oh, maybe we'll finally see what's on that thing because we've been trying to pull on this rope to get it out of the water for like almost a year now. And that thing just doesn't budge. So we're like, well, it's snagged on maybe a beam or something. We don't know because it's close to the dock. And finally, one of my dock hands is over there pulling it. And he's like, oh, I'm starting to move. And then another dock hand goes over and both of them are pulling on the thing. And they're like, it's moving a little bit, but we can't get it. So I go over. There is three of us pulling on one rope. Finally, we get it up to the surface and we're like, oh, my God, it's an outboard. And then we just let go because we're <laughs> like, well, we got one look at it. And then we were like, why is there an outboard in this water? We get it. We finally like cut the rope do a little leverage and send it off to the side. One guy climbs up, pulls it down from the side and me and another person pulls it towards us. We just barely get it up on the dock, but it's sitting there and we're like, yes, we finally did something good. Then all this life comes out of it. Like there's like spider crabs, like horseman <laughs> crabs, like all this stuff crawling out of it. I'm freaking out trying to shoo all the life back in the water, you know, I'm like, and, but it's like, there's outboards. There is just an, unbelievable amount of trash that comes to and fro, fro with that um, tide every single day. And I just think we need to do better because there's no way that you don't know that, you know, you, your your drinks that you're having, you know, the the beer cans and the beer bottles and, the, you know, the all the, it's always stuff that people are eating and drinking and something that they probably took somewhere, you know, like they brought that there to enjoy when they're enjoying the water. Just, I just, I just think it's everybody just do your own. Do your own job. Like, just be responsible for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Think that that'll do enough. Just clean up after yourself. You know, you went out there with all that stuff, and you know you're not. You didn't put it in the trash. It's in the water. You know, like you want to. And that's the thing is, it frustrates me because I feel like it's the people that are going to enjoy the water. Like, yeah, you yeah. got the people that go to enjoy the water that do work really hard on conservation and go to protect it. But then there are other people that go to the water that just don't care, and they do go there just for like the take out of it. And kind of put trash back in. If I could say anything, I just tell everybody just, you know, really do the right thing. Just do yeah. the right thing. I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and and that's what it comes down to. It's just like it you, you you know it's not right to to throw your your trash in the water. Like you know that's not that's not the right thing to do. Nobody should have to tell you that. Right. <laughs> Nobody should have to tell you that. And you know that. And then for me, I think it's all the trash that we clean up every single day out of that water. Yeah. That for me is, and I mean, that's just, I'm on the water every day. I see it all the time, you know, like it's just, and it's just ridiculous. Honestly, I go there and I've been started. I said, I don't want to shame people, you know, because I don't know where it come from, but I did say I was going to start this thread where every day I go and I just take pictures of the trash that I clean out of the water and just take pictures and just put it up. And that's it. Just every single day, just put up the trash that we took out of the water. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, shaming people, I don't, I don't think it's the right thing, but leading by example and doing the right thing, like, you know, those are just things that everyone should be doing, but they're not, unfortunately. But I do think that the some things that 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 I have done, um, just for anyone listening, is you know, like I I I don't leave my house without a reusable water bottle, you know, like and like just little things where it's just like everyday things where it's just like 
okay, like I, I have, I keep extra reasonable coffee mugs in my car. Like, so if, you yeah. know, Hey, I got to go grab a cup of coffee. Like, Hey, I just, you know, just there are these just little everyday things that you can do that would prevent you from even having the need for, I mean, some of the stuff, yeah, you, you know, you're going to buy a Coke, you're going to buy a beer or whatever, like, you know, that's fine, but take it with you and recycle it. Just clean, yeah, just clean up after yourself. Right. I mean, it really, like, it ain't really, we're not reinventing the wheel. I'm not trying to beat anybody over the head, but just pack it in and pack it out. If you take mm-hmm. it there, take it back with you. Just be accountable, you know? And um, for me, that is just one of the biggest issues that I see there um, every day. Mm-hmm. Well, what are some of the, um, cause I want to be, ma- make sure that I'm not taking too much of, uh, of your time to you, but oh, you're good. this, this whole conversation has been really to me as I'm kind of, I'm saying this on the fly as I go, but it's, it's really been a conversation about like finding your purpose and like following your passion, even though it may have been introduced later and there's, I'm sure a whole nother conversation of of why there is an access and 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 we touched on it some, but um, but overall, I mean, what 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 are some of the the things that give you hope or keep you inspired to to want to continue to to do what you what you do? Oh, that's super easy. Um, it is the fact that I know now. Um, that I get to work for joy. I've been saying this a lot, but um, that's just a takeaway for me because I never knew that work could feel like the way that it feels. Mm-hmm. I am I am so empowered by the fact that something that I was just passionate about has made it so that I could create this world for me and other people to exist in. It was just my passion, you know. I went crabbing. My cousin took me crabbing in 2017. At the beginning, January 2017 is when I went crabbing. And it was July 2018. So that's how long it took for people to wear me down and to beg (laughs) me to go crabbing for me to decide, okay, maybe I'll give it a shot. Because I was still behind the bar just telling all these people, no, I didn't want to take them crabbing. And then um, my friend created a Facebook page. And then one day I got a link sent to me through that Facebook page to join Airbnb Experiences. And I said I wasn't going to do it. And my wife signed me up for it. And they accepted that in July. So in July, I started, I took, I hosted my first Airbnb group at um, Brittle Bank Park. And I think I had maybe hosted about 50, 60 people from July, maybe about 50 people from July to November of 2018. And you got to understand, like that time for me, I was nervous. When I would have, I would be behind the bar and I would get a booking that would say there are people that you're like, there's a family of four that I'm crabbing with tomorrow. I'd shut down the bar at three o'clock and go home. And then I'd be at the dock at 10 o'clock getting ready to set up for these people. So those experiences to me were the ones where I was really learning, right? I'm by myself. Don't, I'm still learning how to tie fishing knots. 
And I'm just like not feeling that confident. But from July to November, just my passion for what I was doing made it so that Airbnb had chosen me as one of the top four exceptional hosts in their worldwide market. Wow. Just months. I never knew that I could do something that made me happy, like really make me happy. And to know that now I know what real happiness has felt like too. But the inspiration for me is the fact that where I felt like I wasn't confident, right now I'm confident in myself and my experience and the experience I'm giving guests. That time before that thing got that ranking was probably, if I had to look back, I would think would probably be some of the worst crabbing experiences I hosted, but they weren't. They were the best. And even the reviews said so, and I didn't even have to say so. And that for me was eye-opening. It was eye-opening. Other people put me there, but when I got there and started seeing what I was doing with just putting a little bit of myself into this thing, like that that was all the inspiration I needed right there to keep going. Um, and I wanted to keep feeling that feeling. I wanted to feel happy every day when I was done with work. I want to feel happy every day when I'm going to work. And I didn't know that that was the thing. Um, and so, you know, I took a lot, a lot of inspiration from those early years and those early months of building this. And now I'm so grateful and proud for what I built. Um, and I hope that it continues to inspire other people. Um, we get a lot of feedback from the people that come crabbing and, you know, just families telling me that their kids just want to go crabbing all the time. Like adults thanking me for kind of giving them something to look forward to and getting them back on the water and, you know, just all these different things that we're helping people to do, the, the crew and I. It's um, It's all I need to keep going every day. Well, that's awesome um, and super inspiring. And I think that the, I don't know, this, this could be a, a case study and, and, and the power of purpose and, and following your passion and, and, and uh, getting outside of your comfort zone and what that can do for you. But, um, but I, I'll, I guess I'll say, cause we've been talking about this the whole time, right? Is where can people go if they want to go crabbing with you? Uh, they go to casualcrabbingwithtia.com. We have dates and times up for all year. They're based on the tides. Um, and our normal sessions are up to 12 guests, the public sessions, and you can catch and release or keep what you catch, anything legal size, anything that we catch, we all split evenly. And, um, but we do a lot of large groups. I've, we've hosted um, a group of 60. We've done two back-to-back sessions with groups of 30. But casualcrabbingwithtia.com, um, casualcrabbingwithtia on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Come see us. That's awesome. Well, All right. Well, thanks for listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. Special thanks to Tia Clark, uh, Casual Crabbing with Tia. Uh, Super fun episode. And uh, for those who are interested, um, we do have a website. It's www.thesustainableangler.com where you can find blogs, past episodes, merchandise, 
Um, but really what helps the, the podcast out a lot is if you can leave a rating and review on iTunes. Um, that helps to uh, get us in front of more listeners uh, so that we can continue to inspire anglers to protect the planet. Uh, thanks for listening.